0: Good morning, Warehouse Church, and good morning to those of you that are watching online. We're so glad to have all of you. And uh, so this morning, um, if you haven't figured it out, we're getting ready to start small groups, and we want you to sign up for a small group. And so this semester, we are going back into homes, and so we're having small groups and homes all over Floyd County and Johnson County, and you have an opportunity today to sign up to be a part of a group, and uh, you can do that as you leave today uh, outside in the, in the lobby area on the counter. Michael Ellis will be out there and has a, a bunch of sign-up sheets of various groups meeting in various places at various times throughout the week studying various things and so we want everyone to uh, participate in a small group and why because we believe that transformation happens best in circles rather than in rows. And so we think there's just something special about gathering around in a living room with a group of 10 or 12 people and doing life together and praying together and reading God's word together and eating together and, uh, and, and, and sharing uh, our life struggles together. And so we want to invite you to be a part of a small group that's beginning on the week of February 19th. And so you have this week and next week to sign up. Uh, I encourage you this week to go out there and just take a look and see what everyone's uh, offering. Uh, You may sign up for a group based on who's leading the group. You may sign up on a group based on location. You may sign up a group based on what's being talked about. Or you may know who cooks the best food and you sign up for the group because you know who's going to have the best food. Whatever it is, uh, we want to invite you to get involved and plugged into um, one of our various groups and, uh, and to just invest in the lives of other people and see if life transformation doesn't happen in your life over the next semester. And so uh, so you can do that again today, right after, you, uh, after worship, just go on out there in the lobby, take a look at all the different groups that are being offered. You don't have to pick one today. You can think about it, you can pray about it, you can talk to the group leaders and say, hey, I hear you're talking about the book of James. Tell me a little bit more about that. Or hey, I hear you're gonna talk about the sermons. What does that look like? Uh, ask any questions you want to and then sign up next week. Um, but uh, we'd love for you to get plugged in into a group, I am so super excited about that. I hope you are too. And uh, I hope that you know that we believe in small groups and we believe that uh, transformation happens best in those groups. And so uh, we want to see your life continue to be transformed. Um, also, just a quick update on our plumbing situation. We still are continuing to, uh, to figure that out. Um, we've got a few ideas or a few things that we're just kind of waiting on some bids and some quotes to come back to fix our plumbing situation. Uh, and so it could be as simple as just fixing the existing, which is not simple because we have to dig up all the concrete and, and uh, put new piping down uh, all throughout the building, or we could start with some new uh, uh, bathrooms in a different location. Uh, we're just trying to figure it out. So we ask that you continue to pray for us. Um, Either way, it's going to be a financial burden. So if you'd like to give to that, uh, you can. And uh, if you want to give above and beyond your normal tithe and just write plumbing on the check, we'll figure it out. Uh, You can you could write a lot of things on that memo. um, But we'll know that it's all about the plumbing. And uh, and so to help with that, because at the very least, it's going to cost around $30,000 at the very least, uh, just to fix the plumbing. And uh, so, um, so it's quite a mess, but we're trusting in God and trusting that God's going to provide because he always does. And, uh, and so if you'd like to help with that, that'd be great. But the thing I'm most excited about is today. Uh, today we are beginning a 10-week journey through the Gospel of Mark. And so in your Bibles, if you look up, open up to the New Testament, you got Matthew and then you have Mark. And, uh, and then there's Luke and John and then the, the epistles. And so we're going to take a look at the Gospel of Mark over the next 10 weeks. And, uh, and we're going to look at the major stories because we can't look at every verse and every chapter, um, but we're going to look at the major stories and the major themes that Mark writes about in his account of the life of Jesus. So the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all about the life of Jesus. And they're written from four different perspectives. And so we're going to look at it from Mark's perspective. And as we read uh, the book of Mark, we're going to focus on how Jesus challenged the cultural norms of the time, uh, really by defying some social patterns and religious traditions and discover how Jesus demonstrates and calls you and me to the same kind of rebellious or even relentless, what we sang about, relentless faith. That he had. And that we are also called to live in that same kind of faith. And we will see that how Jesus um, spent time with people uh, that, that respectable church people wouldn't go near. Uh, we'll be challenged to live a life that fully is dependent on Jesus we will see uh, how the most difficult place to live out our faith is often the place where people know us the best, and that's just the first three weeks, and we're going to look at 10 weeks. We're going to start today and end up on Easter Sunday uh, with the last chapter in the book of Mark, and so I'm super excited about this. I'm super excited that we're taking kind of a deep dive into one of the books of the Bible, and and um, and so it's going to be so good, and I hope that you will read along. And so uh, also, uh, on outside as you leave today, right on the counter, on the corner of the Counter out there, uh, you can uh, read. A, we have a reading guide for you, and so if you'd like to read every day a little bit out of Mark, you're welcome to do that. And uh, so this week we're going to read the first two chapters of Mark together. And so there's a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, you get Saturday and Sunday off, and there's some uh, reading and then some questions to think about and reflect. So if you'd like to pick one of these up, you can. Like I said, they're right outside on the counter as you leave today. And uh, and so. Uh, I like I said, just, I'm super excited about it. And, uh, and before we dive into today's passage though, but if you have your Bible, we're going to look in Mark chapter 2. Um, I want to give you a quick bit of background about the book of Mark. Like I feel like we need to know, uh, get a 30,000 foot view of the book of Mark, get kind of the big picture of what's taking place, who wrote it and all that good stuff. And the book was originally anonymous. So it was, originally it was written anonymously, uh, but the early church tradition, church fathers said that John Mark is the one who wrote this book on behalf of Peter. Now, we've learned about Peter, we've heard about Peter, and, uh, and so what we know is that John Mark is writing his account of Jesus' life uh, on behalf of Peter, uh, and it's towards the end of Peter's life. We know that John Mark and Peter were together uh, for, and, and that John Mark probably began to write his book um, uh, towards the end of Peter's life and then finished it after Peter had uh, passed away. And so Mark is also, um, he was the son of a, a woman named Mary, not the same Mary that gave birth to Jesus, another. Mary, uh, in Jerusalem and their home happened to be a popular meeting place, uh, in the early church. And so they had small group happening in Mary's home and Mark's home, uh, where he grew up. And, uh, and also some biblical scholars would even say that this possibly could be the Mary that hosted the last supper, the place where the last supper took place. And so there's a the potential that John Mark was there, uh, in the last supper. Uh, Mark also, we know about him from Acts. So we see John Mark in Acts. It's the same guy. And, uh, and he was cousins with a guy named Barnabas. And so Barnabas has a role to play in the first century church, and they were related. And, uh, and he probably, John Luke was probably a really young man uh, during Jesus' ministry. So he was probably a little boy, teenager maybe during the ministry of Jesus, and most likely he witnessed a lot of the things that Jesus talked about when he was near Jerusalem, and eventually he, um, John Mark is seen in Acts to go on missionary trips with Peter and with Paul. And so, um, so John Mark has been a part of the story um, all the way through uh, the first century church and in the book of Acts. And like I said, I think it's important that we remember this, that Mark is writing Peter's story of Jesus. And so as he's writing this, he is listening to Peter. He is taking down notes. Uh, He is listening to Peter's opinion or thoughts about uh, uh, that was Holy Spirit inspired uh, about who Jesus was. And and as we read this, we know that Peter um, always thought of Jesus to be a powerful man who was always on the move. And who was also a suffering servant. And you see these two themes throughout the book of Mark. You see Jesus always going from one event to the next, right? And so as we read this, you're gonna see that. And as you read on your own, uh, you're gonna see that Jesus is always moving from one event to the next. He's always on the move. And you always see from Mark's uh, point of view that Jesus was known as the suffering servant. And you see that more in the second half of the book of Mark. And so that's just kind of like a big picture of the book of Mark and who wrote it and when it was written and and, and a little bit about uh, the author. And today we're going to dive into Mark chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 13 and 17 through 17 together. And uh, like I said, we're going to pick out major themes. We can't read every chapter and every verse. so we're going to pick out some major themes. And I thought this was a good one to start with. And so let's just read it together and see what Mark has to say. And so he's talking about Jesus here. And he says, he being Jesus went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, uh, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. And as they reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating, that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Hey, let's, uh, let's pray and invite the Holy Spirit in on our conversation. Would you just pray with me? Father God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that your word is so full of good and amazing things about living the Christian life and about how you have come to rescue all of us. And Father, I pray today that you would remove the scales from our eyes. God, you'd unplug our ears and you would soften our hearts so that we could see, hear, and know exactly what it is that you have for us today. Thank you for your word. May it transform and change us. In your name we pray. Amen. So before we dive into the passage, let me just ask you really a rhetorical question. Like you don't have to answer it out loud. Uh, And it's kind of a risky question because, well, it has the potential to lead to pride or maybe even feel like you're being a little judgy. Um, But here's the question I want you to think about. What in your mind would be the worst kind of sinner you could ever imagine? Like, just, just think about that for a minute. What in your mind would be the worst kind of sinner that you could ever imagine? Like, what would that person be or look like? It could, be, it could be like a tyrant who is constantly oppressing people. That could be your image of the worst sinner in the world. Or it could be a sexual deviant who victimizes innocent people. It could be a racist who has an uh, irrational um, uh, hatred for people who are not like them. Maybe it could be a chronic liar who is constantly doing damage by deceiving others, or maybe it could be a thief who is always taking away from others. Your your, your picture of the worst uh, sinner could be uh, a religious hypocrite who uses religion to advance their own agenda, or maybe it could be someone who has destroyed his or her family, by being addicted to drugs or alcohol. Maybe, maybe, maybe you can't choose. Maybe there's like too many, or maybe, maybe you're like, it's all of the above. Like you name them and it's D, all the above. Um, but what in your mind, as you think about this, what in your mind would be the worst kind of sinner you could ever imagine? Now, let me ask you another question, a follow-up question to that. And the question is this. When I asked that question, did someone uh, you know come to your mind? As you heard that question, did, did a picture of someone come to your mind? Uh, did someone that you thought of this, as you thought of this notorious, horrible sinner, like did a picture of someone come to your mind? Or are you thinking of someone right now? Do you see their face? And you see someone that brings up, maybe it's someone who brings us deep and painful emotions in you as you think about who is the, wor- the worst sinner or what does that look like? Someone who maybe when you see them in public, you duck and cover because you would be embarrassed to be caught in the same place with them. And I think that's what's so fascinating about this morning's passage, as we think about the worst sinner in the world. Because many people living in the region uh, in Jesus' day, this region that we're looking at here in this, in this second chapter of Mark, uh, would have felt that way about the main character in our story. That if you were to ask that question to them, if you were to say, hey, who, who would you say is, the, what, what kind of person is the worst sinner in the world? That if you had, I bet nine out of 10 people in this region would have said the tax collector. They would have said Levi. They may have even called him by name because there was not a more notorious, dark-hearted, and hopeless sinner than the tax collector named Levi, who's also known as Matthew the tax collector. You see, his name, Levi, if you think about it, it suggests that he was Jewish. He had Jewish roots. His name uh, is a Jewish name. So Levi, the tax collector, uh, came from Jewish roots. And yet, as a tax collector, he was someone who made his living, made his living collecting taxes from his own people for the king of the time. He was considered a traitor, to his own people and a violator of the covenant which God had made with them. The moment he chose to become a tax collector was the moment that his family all turned their back on him. But not just his family, his neighbors, the friends that he grew up with, the people that uh, were in his synagogue, everyone turned their back on Levi because now he was known as the worst kind of sinner And not only that, but he made his living. That's what tax collectors did, is they made their living by overcharging taxes. Like the king would say, listen, if you're gonna be my tax collector, you have to tax this amount of money. And they would set it, but then the king would say in the next breath, but you can charge whatever you want. That's what he would say. He would say, you can charge whatever you want. So here's how much I need. I need $10, but you can charge 20. Like you can double whatever you wanna do as long as I get my cut. And that's what Levi did. He spent his days overcharging people and collecting taxes so that he could get rich. And so not just Levi, but every tax collector that had a booth, they were seen as the vilest extortionists of their time. They were just horrible people. And so vile that the Bible says that there were sinners and then there were tax collectors. Like they had their own category. That why did Jesus hang out with sinners and tax collectors? Like they were that bad that they they had their own category uh, that was worse than being called a sinner. And no one would have thought of Levi as anything else than rather as a hopeless, irredeemable retrobate of a sinner. He was the scum of the earth. And he probably thought the same of himself. There were probably moments where he'd love to go home and have dinner and have a meal with his family, but his family had already alienated him and turned their back on him. There's probably moments where he would love to spend time with his childhood friends, but because he was a tax collector, they want nothing to do with him. There was probably times and moments in his life where he felt as he counted all the money that he had, the shame and the guilt of robbing from his Jewish family to make a living. And yet... And don't miss this. And yet, this is the very man that Jesus went to and called and made into one of his most devoted followers. Think about that for a minute, church. This vilest sinner of all vile sinners was the one that Jesus came to. And invited him to follow him and became one of his most devoted followers. If we're honest, if we're honest, this story can make us a little uncomfortable. But it's an amazing picture of God's amazing grace. That he took a sinner. He took the sinner of all sinners. And he transformed his life and he became one of his most devoted followers. And here's what I would argue with you today, that if he could call someone like Levi to follow him, and he would even welcome the kind of people that Levi hung out with, the other sinners and tax collectors, then I would say this, that truly no one, no one is as so bad a sinner that they can't be redeemed by God. No one. And that's really the big picture of this passage, right? Like if you had to put a big point, if you had to summarize this passage, it's this, that no one is too far from God. Can we just say that together? No one is too far from God. Just look to the person next to you. Hey, no one's too far from God. Just let them know. That's the big picture of this story that no one's too far from God. I I remember uh, when I was doing student ministry, there was a kid named Eric. And I remember every year we would go on a beach retreat. And so we had what was called youth week. And so at the beginning of the week, we would do all kinds of fun things. We'd go to a theme park. We would do uh, bowling. We would do all kinds of fun things. And then on Thursday through Saturday, we always did a beach retreat. So we would all pile into a bus and we would drive to Jekyll Island, Georgia, and we would spend the weekend in Jekyll Island, Georgia diving into God's word. And so Eric was one of those fringe kids. He was one of the kids that he came, but he stayed kind of distant on the, off in the distance. He never really got involved. And uh, Eric came though. I was so super excited that he came on the beach retreat. He and his sister Stormy came and Eric had a really sordid background. He was young. He was like 15, but he had already been arrested at 15. He had already uh, done things that, that, that normal 15-year-old kids wouldn't do. Uh, his, his daughter, I mean, his, his sister Stormy was following in his path. His home life was broken single mom and dad was gone never not even in the picture and and Eric just had a rough life and and he came with us and I remember uh, on one of the nights as the as the the speaker the guest speaker was talking and shared the gospel and said these very words said no one is too far from God and as soon as he said that Eric I I remember I was sitting on one side of the room and, and I was watching I was facing the the kids and Eric got up and darted out of the room And so I got up and I went out after to find out what was going on. And I I had to look for Eric. I couldn't find him. I'm looking in the hallways of the convention center. I'm looking around. Finally, I went into the bathroom and I found Eric huddled in a ball under the sink, under the countertop of the sink. I said, dude, Eric, what's going on? He said, Rick, you don't understand. God could never love me. He could never love me. I'm too far gone. Like I've done things. And he began to say the things that he did. He could, God could never love me. And I looked at Eric and I said, Eric, that's exactly where you're wrong. God loves you in spite of those things. God loves you no matter what you've done, no matter who you become, no matter where you've been, God loves you. And Eric came on that beach retreat far from God, and he left that beach retreat one of God's kids. And that's the point of this, that no one is too far from God. Now, if that were the only truth that comes from this story, we could say, man, that's great. Good job. Well done, pastor. Let's go home. But I think there's something more I think there's something more for us. I feel like there's a bigger lesson for us churchy people. Like, I think there's something that us churchy people that have been going to church for a long time, that have been here and have, have been invested in church for a while, uh, super saints, if you will, comfy, comfy Christians, whatever you want to call them, I think there's something in this passage for us that maybe we don't want to hear or we don't see. And, and I think the bigger message for us or lesson for people like me, People who, who say, uh, who I'm sorry to say, who look down on someone like Levi and his friends. I think the passage teaches us that if Jesus made it his mission to reach out to notorious sinners and call them to himself, then we who are his faithful followers, specifically me, must also reach out beyond our comfort zone to the same kind of sinners. Like, it's a beautiful story to say, no one's too far from God. And that's great, and that's beautiful. But for those of us who have been hanging around the church for a long time, I think the message for us is Jesus intentionally reached out to those who were the farthest from God and loved them, and so should we. You see, as Jesus' followers, we have in us the most life-transforming message in the world. We do. Do you know that? Like, you're, cu- you're carrying around with you the cure to death. You're carrying around with you the cure to death. It's the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. And it's like we're walking around this world as containers, right? Like we're walking around this world with, as jars of this amazing message. And the thing that opens the lid and, and makes the life-transforming message flow out of us into others is relationships. Relationships. That as I read the Gospels, as I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and specifically Mark, Jesus transformed lives through relationships. Why do you think small groups are so important to us? Because lives are transformed through relationships. And if we don't allow Jesus to lead us to those who desperately need to hear the message. And if we don't allow ourselves to enter into genuine relationships with them, just as Jesus did, then they won't hear the good news. And if they don't hear the good news, they'll never experience the transformation that we've experienced in our lives. So at the heart of this message, for those of us who are comfy Christians, super saints, whatever you want to call yourself, the message for us It's not just that no one's too far from God, but the message for us is that we must live our lives in such a way to share the good news with others so that they too can experience life transformation. So let me just share a few thoughts with you about this passage. The first one I want you to know is this, is the context tells us so much. Like the big picture context of the story tells us so much. Mark begins by saying he went out, Jesus went out again, Uh, beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them, right? So the sea that he's talking about is the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus has done, uh, and Mark especially, Jesus does so much of his ministry near water. It's so incredible how every time that Jesus is doing ministry, a lot of the times it's near water. And here he's near the Sea of Galilee, he's on the beach, if you will, and and here he's doing ministry, and in fact, uh, that it says that he went out again means that he keeps going to the same spot. Like, he's got his favorite spot on the Sea of Galilee. He keeps going to the same spot and and returning there, and and he's preaching, and he's teaching, and he's building relationships with people. And this means that Levi had probably heard about Jesus. Like, the town is talking about Jesus. They're talking about what he's talking about because Jesus is bringing a whole new message, like something they've never heard. They've never heard a Pharisee. They've never heard a rabbi. They've never heard one of the super saints talk about love like Jesus talked about love. And they're like, man, have you heard Jesus? I haven't heard about Jesus. You should come to the Sea of Galilee. Come to the beach. He's talking. We'll check it out together. So Levi has heard. And Mark goes on to say that the crowds came to him. Like he is drawing crowds every time he begins to preach or teach. And as news of Jesus was preaching would spread, people would gather by the, by the, the, the multitudes, by the, by the hundreds, and they would listen. And, and Levi was very well aware of this as he's sitting in his tax booth, Right? Like, people are going to the beachside. He's like, hey, um, Bartholomew, you still owe me taxes from last week. Don't forget. Hey, uh, hey, Mary, you still owe me some taxes too. Hey, by the way, you didn't pay your taxes all month. And he's constantly reminding people of their taxes as they walk by. And he's hearing people talk about Jesus. And Mark goes on to say that Jesus was teaching them. And I love this because this is important because it tells us that Jesus didn't discriminate. Like, only certain people were allowed in the temples to receive teaching from rabbis. But Jesus like, anyone's welcome. Anyone can come. It doesn't matter who you are. And he welcomed anyone who would show up. And I love this because that's the kind of church that I want Warehouse Church to be. The kind of church where anyone's welcome. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you're wearing. It doesn't matter what you did right before you walked in the doors. You are welcome in this place. Because that's what Jesus did. He says, anyone's welcome. And, and that's the way Jesus worked, and he calls people from all walks of life even to follow him. And, 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 also, and all who wish to come are welcome to be loved by him. That's loving differently. And we want to be that kind of church that when you walk in the doors, you don't get like look from your feet to your head and going, hmm, yeah, you're not going to fit here. No, that's not how we want to be. We want to be a kind of church that welcomes you in. No matter whether you got camouflage on, no matter whether you got polo on, no matter whether you got uh, fingernails painted, no matter whether you don't, we don't care, black hair, no hair, tats, it doesn't matter. You're welcome in this place. So the context tells us so much about Jesus being welcoming and loving people and that we want to be that way. The second thing I want you to know about this is Jesus calls the sinner. Listen to me. Jesus calls the sinner. Mark goes on in verse 14, and he says, and as Jesus passed by, he saw who? He saw Levi, the most vile of all sinners. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. So Levi's in his booth. He's got his calculator. He's got his spreadsheet. He's making notes of who hasn't paid and who has. He's making his agenda, who's he's going to visit today and how much he's going to charge. He's doing his work. And Jesus walks by, and he sees Levi, the tax collector. And imagine, if you will, this notorious sinner uh, sitting at his, be- at his booth and, and, and the betrayer of his own people, the one who makes a living stealing from them. And, and no- nobody had hope for him. They're like, he's a, he's a lost cause. Like maybe even the disciples, when Jesus approached the booth, said, Jesus, you just need to leave him. He's a lost cause. Like there's no hope for him. And, and so he's a lost cause. And I'm sure the last thing that Levi ever expected was for Jesus to walk up to his booth. Like people walk up to his booth and I bet Levi would take a couple steps back. Like, are they going to swing on me today? Are they going to hurl insults at me today? Are they going to throw things at me today? But Jesus walks up to his booth and he knew who Jesus was. And what an even greater shock it must have been for Levi when Jesus extends his hand out to Levi and says, hey man, Would you come and follow me? Like, Levi never expected Jesus to say, hey. Would you come and follow me? And I don't want you to rush past this. Like it's so easy for us to do, but this is a big deal. Like Jesus walks up to this notorious sinner's booth and invites him into a relationship with him, and says, hey, I would love for you to spend your life with me. Would you come and follow me? And it wasn't as if Jesus, like, Levi heard the news that he was in town and when, and when he saw Jesus walking up, he hides all his stuff. Like, oh, he can't know that I'm a tax collector. He doesn't do that. Levi didn't change anything for Jesus. He didn't get his act together. He didn't say, oh, I'd love to follow you, Jesus, but I gotta get my act together first. Like how many times have you heard that when people come to church and they're like, oh, I'll come to church when I get my act together. I'll come to church when I kick my habit. I'll come to church when I stop doing this. I'll come to church when? And Jesus, Levi doesn't do that. He just opens up his life to Jesus when Jesus says, hey, will you come and follow me? He was in the midst of his sinful life when Jesus approached him. And Jesus, for that matter, he didn't stand off to the side of the booth, right? Like he didn't say, I'll wait till dark. And then when Levi comes out of his booth, then I'll approach him when no one can see me because I don't want anyone to think bad about me. Uh, He didn't do that. He didn't wait because he knew that Levi would never come to him. And so Jesus goes to Levi. Jesus took the initiative of love. This is so big because if we're going to be a church that doesn't just say we love differently, but we actually love differently, we have to take the initiative of love just as Jesus did with Levi. He went right up to the man uh, that most decent people would have nothing to do with him and simply invited him to come and be one of his. Will you come and be one of my followers? I want you to be on my team. I pick you. I pick you. And look what Levi did. Mark says that he rose and followed him. In the Greek, if you read the original language and translate it, basically what Levi did is he dropped everything he was doing and he went to follow Jesus. Now, he didn't just drop it like, I'll come back to it later. He like shut it down. He's like, I'm done with this life. I'm never coming back. And he went to follow Jesus. It was a decisive act to leave his sin once and for all and follow Jesus. And Jesus took the initiative to love Levi differently, and this leads to our third thought. So Jesus takes the initiative, and here's our third thing. Jesus hung out with sinners. Can you just say that with me? Jesus hung out with sinners. We're told in verse 15, it says, and as he, Jesus, reclined at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And, and if we read in Luke's account of the story, because Luke has the same uh, story in his account, uh, we s- we're told that Levi was having a big hold party in the honor of Jesus. Like, he's like, I like this Jesus guy. I'm gonna throw a big party. And he's having this big party in honor of Jesus. And he invites all of his sinner friends he invites all of his tax collector friends. He invites all of his sinner friends to come and hang out with Jesus. And, and, and I, if I think about this, and, and as I think about what's happening, I'm thinking, you know what? Maybe Levi is throwing his own, like, going out of business party, and, and he's wanting to share with his, with, his, with, his, with his tax collector buddies and with his sinner buddies. He's wanting to share the transformation that Jesus had on his life. He's like, man, we're having a party. Uh, I'm going to invite all of my friends because I want them to meet the guy that changed my life. And it makes you wonder, at least it makes me wonder, what kind of people were there? Tax collectors and sinners, what kind of sinners were there? I'm sure it would have been a crowd that most of us probably wouldn't hang out with. Like, I'm sure it would have been people that we were like, ah, I don't want to be caught with that. I don't want to get, I don't want to get sinner cooties. I don't, want to, I don't want to be seen with those people. And here's Jesus hanging out with all these sinners and all these tax collectors. And, and, and even the disciples were probably looking nervously around, like, is anyone watching? Like, they probably sat in the back of the room, right, in the dark lit corners because they didn't want anyone to know that they were there. And like, we'd be embarrassed if we were caught in Levi's house. And so here they all are. And I imagine, you know, they all came together and the Bible says that Jesus was right in the center of it. Like he's sitting there amongst them and they're having a good time and they're sharing stories and sharing life. And maybe, I think about this, maybe maybe there was like this little revival going on amongst the riffraff of Galilee when Jesus was in the middle of all these sinners and tax collectors having a good time in community with them. Maybe transformation was just happening all over the place. And then it made me wonder this. It made me wonder why, and this is hard for me, but it made me wonder why do the sinful people of today, why do they prefer to stay away from Christians like us? Like why do we repel those people? And why does the church repel sinners? They don't want anything to do with us. And yet, as I read this story, they were drawn to Jesus. Like they were hanging out with him. They were having fun talking with him and sharing life with him. And I wonder, could it be, could it be that they knew that they were loved and accepted by him no matter what? Because he took the initiative to first reach out to them? Like church, think about what would it be like what would it be like if we took the posture of Jesus and we took the initiative to love those who are so unloved by the rest of our world? What would it be like if we invited them into a relationship with us just as Jesus? Would they not be more drawn to us than repelled by us if they knew that we love them no matter what? You see, here's what I want you to know about this this week. And I want you to write this down, maybe. It's a little long, but you can do it. But here's what I want you to write down. It's on the screen. May God change us so that the people who most need to hear of Jesus' love will be made comfortable enough around us and loved enough by us to hear of Jesus' love for them. Like, let me just put it personal to you. God, change me. God, change me so that the people who most need to hear of your love will be made comfortable enough around me, that they'll be comfortable around me and loved by me enough to hear that Jesus loves them. That's the root of this message, to love people in such a way and accept people in such a way that they're comfortable enough to be around us, loved enough by us that they want to hear about this Jesus. Just let that sink in. Next, Mark goes on and he says, And the scribes and the, of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And the scribes and the Pharisees were the religious elites of the day, the super saints that I call them. And Jesus' behavior was scandalous to them. Like they're like, I can't believe this. Like, I can't believe that he's hanging out with those people. We would never be caught dead with those people. We would get we would get cooties if we hung out with those people. We would we would be um, we would be uh, made fun of if we hung out with those people. We'd be the gossip of the town if we hung out with those people. And they're in utter shock. Like they're not asking the question. And the original language again, if you read it, they're really it's a, a statement of shock. Like I can't believe that he's hanging out with those people. And it's so shocking that they can't even bring themselves to talk to Jesus directly as if he had utterly defiled himself just by being in their very presence. And let me tell you, if we behave like Jesus does in this passage and we hang out with the sinners of the world, I can promise you that the religious nuts around here are going to talk about you. That if we begin to love intentionally and love differently and hang out with the people that no one else wants to hang out with, the religious nuts, the, the super saints in our community are going to talk about us. And here's the deal. The disciples don't even get a chance to respond. Like they, they hear the questions, but they don't even get a, response to, a chance to respond because Jesus overhears what the, the um, Pharisees say uh, or the scribe, religious scribes say. And he gets, gives them his own answer. And here's the fourth thing I want you to know about this is that uh, Jesus corrects the righteous. And this is a big deal, that some of us are righteous people in here. Some of us are comfy Christians. Some of us are super saints. Some of us are afraid to hang out with those that other people would be, uh, would, because other people will talk about us or because maybe we'll get their sin on us or maybe we'll be guilty by association. And, and Jesus corrects the righteous. So maybe Jesus needs to correct us this morning because the religious folk thought that if someone was truly righteous, that they wouldn't let unrighteous people into their world, that they would never be caught dead around unrighteous people, but they were completely wrong. And Jesus says, hey, I've come, and I've come to do something different, and I'm hanging out with the unrighteous. I'm hanging out with the sinners and the tax collectors. Like, sinners is bad, but, man, tax collectors are really bad. I'm hanging out with both of them. And the religious leaders and the elites and the super saints of the time, they don't know what to do with this. And here's how Jesus responds. he says in verse 17. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so could you imagine going to a doctor and asking him or her why they always hang out with sick people? Hey, Dr. So-and-so, why are you always hanging out with sick people? Like, that would be ludicrous for us to ask that. It's crazy because, of course, they're always with sick people. That's what they do. They make sick people better. And where else would we expect to see the Savior of sinners but up in the crib with the sinners and the scum of the world that the people called the scum of the world? That's where Jesus needs to be, close and nearby, those who need to hear the message. Jesus said, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that's the priority of Jesus in Mark's gospel, that he came to save those who were lost. He drew near to those who most needed to be saved by him. He went to where they were. He did. It, it wasn't a come and see, it was a go and be. Churches today, we live in this world of like, come and see us, come and see, come and see, come and see. And Jesus is like, that's not me. Like I was never a come and see, I was always a go and be. Like get intentional. Get out of the walls of the church and go and be Jesus in the streets. Go and be Jesus in the cafes. Go and be Jesus in the restaurants. Go and be Jesus in the coworkers and in, in the in the in your company or where you work. Go and be Jesus wherever you are. Go and be. That's the priority of Jesus. He didn't worry. He didn't worry that he might become contaminated with their sin. He didn't worry what others might consider him guilty by association. He just went to be the savior for those who were lost. But there's something else that you need to know about Jesus. He went to be the savior of the sinners of the lost. He went and hung out with the sinners and the tax collectors. But here's the second thing you need to know. He also didn't overlook their sin. He didn't overlook their sin. He came to them and he called them to a place of repentance. You see, Levi and, and, and Jesus had a conversation. Uh, Luke doesn't talk about it, but there was a conversation at some point where Jesus said, hey, Luke, I want you to know I love you. Or, I mean, Levi, I want you to know I love you. And I love who you are and I got big plans for you. But dude, I hate that you're a tax collector and living a life of sin. And if you'll just come and surrender your life to me, transformation will begin to happen in your life and you no longer have to live that life of sin there was a conversation at some point where jesus and levi talked about their sin because jesus never overlooks our sin he came to them and he called them to repentance but he did it by showing them genuine love we got to do that, church. we got to be more genuine in our love for people. He didn't look at Levi as a project and say, oh, that's my project for today. I'm going to rescue him. He saw him as a person. He saw him as a person living in sin and a person that he wanted to redeem. He said, I'm going to invest. I'm going to make the first move. I'm going to be intentional about showing him my love and touching his life in a personal way and inviting him to follow him. In other words, Jesus loved differently And as a result of his love, Levi followed him. Let me just ask you a question. Remember that person I asked you about when I said, hey, what's the worst sin you can imagine? I said, is there a person, is there a face, is there a name to that? Here's the challenge for you and for me. Why don't we ask God... To help make us more like Jesus to that person, whoever that person is, you when you're thinking of the most horrible sinner, who's that person? What would it be like to ask Jesus to, to ask God to make you more like Jesus, so that you can be like Jesus to that person? Let's invite the Holy Spirit to empower us to begin the process of drawing close to the kind of person that we are ordinarily repulsed by or pushed away from because of their sin. People that we'd much rather avoid. What would it be like to say, Holy Spirit, would you empower me, equip me to be more intentional to reach out to the people that the churches in my community won't even say hi to? Because they need Jesus, they need Jesus just like you did. And I'm even go one step further and to say you were one of those people probably at one time. Some of you in this room were one of those people. You were one of the people that the churches in this community said, ah, they're too far gone. You're one of the people and that the churches in this community said, ah, I just can't do it. Look at the way, look at the shirts they wear, look at the dress, look at how they dress. Oh, I can't do it because look, look—they got, they got, they got too many addictions going on, or they got too many hang-ups. And yet, those are the very people that Jesus loved the most. He hung out with sinners and tax collectors, and they wanted to hang out with him. Oh, what would it look like? the sinners and tax collectors of our day wanted to hang out with us as we worship Jesus together. You see, Mark portrays this amazing picture of Jesus always in the middle of the sinner's the tax collectors of the day. He loved differently, and so should we. So should we, so should I, and so should you. Let's pray. Father God, I just, I invite your Holy Spirit to come and to move in our hearts right now, Lord. God, because I'm pretty sure that most of us in here are guilty at one time or another of avoiding someone based upon their background or based upon their story or based upon what they're wearing or how they act or what they're doing. And yet, Lord, we're reminded of how you loved everyone no matter what. no one was too far and no one is too far from you to be loved by you, to be redeemed by you, to be rescued by you. So Lord, I pray that we would become a group of people that would truly love differently. Because Lord, there's people out there that they have been burned by the church. They have been hurt by Christians. They have been snubbed by super saints. And Lord, they need, they need, desperately need to be loved by us and by you. Lord, if there's someone in this room today who has never said yes to you, never given their life to you, Father, maybe they're like, yep, I'm that guy, I'm that girl. Like I have done things and I have alienated, uh, people have alienated me because of my actions. I am alone, recognizing that I am a sinner. I'm one of those sinners. Lord, I wanna be rescued today. I wanna be loved. I wanna be transformed. I wanna be changed if that's you today. All you have to do is ask for it. All you have to do is say, hey God, I'm alone right now. Like nobody wants to be around me. I'm messed up. I've got my hangups. I've got my sin. I've got my junk. And Lord, I want to be rescued today. Like I want to be in a place where I belong. I want to be in a place where I'm loved. I want to be loved by you and loved by people and so today Lord I surrender my life to you I just give it to you and ask you to come and forgive me of my sins and ask you to come and redeem my life and make it purposeful to come and to shower me with this love that we've been talking about give me a purpose and hope for my life today if that's you. Just just invite God to come in. You can even say, God, I don't understand it all. But I understand this, and I want you to come and rescue me. I'm Levi. I get that guy. I want to be rescued. I'll follow you. Just lead the way. Just invite Jesus into your life. Father God, for those of us that are maybe some of those religious nuts that Maybe we feel like we're a little too righteous to hang out with some of those sinners in the world that were so much alike. Father, would you break our hearts? God, would you make us more like you today so that we could love the least of these and love those who are dying for someone to accept and love? Lord, use us. We're gonna stand up in a minute. We're going to sing Amazing Grace and uh, God's amazing grace. And as we do, I want you to know that this area is available to you to come and pray. Uh, come to the foot of, of the cross and pray with Jesus. Spend time with him. Maybe you need to say, you know what, God, thanks for correcting me. I was a little righteous. I was living a little righteous, and I needed I needed a little slap in the face today. Or maybe you need to come and say, God, forgive me. Maybe you need to come and pray for the people that you know in your life that are lost and, and are, are living a life of sin and you want to pray for them. Or maybe you just need to come and invite Jesus into your life. Whatever it is, you're welcome to come and spend time in prayer. Uh, nobody's going to look at you weird or different. You just come and pray. And I also want you to know if you want someone to pray with you, I'm right on the front row. I'd be happy and honored to pray with you. So let's stand together. Let's sing this familiar um, song uh, and uh, with all of our hearts.